This is the Only One Shot Golf Podcast, and I'm Jim Gallagher Jr., your host. A special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. You can find Steve on steveazar.com. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. Appreciate everybody that's been listening over the last year or so. And don't forget to get your copy of the book, Only One Shot. That is by VJ Trolio, and that's available on Amazon. Today I have former Tennessee Vol and one of the better short game instructors, Andrew Pratt, on the uh, podcast. Played his college golf at Tennessee. Picked up the game a little bit late, about 14 years old. And uh, had a nice career at Tennessee, turned pro, played the Nationwide Tour for a few years. And then turned to college coaching and was an assistant at Tennessee on the women's side. Became the head coach at Tulane and then moved on to Auburn. And now is the instructor, head uh, director of instruction at Moore's Mill Country Club in Auburn. And uh, let's uh, get to know Andrew a little bit better. And I can't wait for you to uh, hear from him. All right, I want to welcome Andrew Pratt to the podcast. Andrew, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you having me on. Well, uh, nice to have a Tennessee Vol or an ex-Tennessee Vol on the uh, podcast. You've wore a lot of different colors when you were coaching in college. Now you're doing a little golf instruction uh, on the side, or not on the side. Now it's a full-time job. But uh, who kind of got you started in, in, in golf and, and maybe you know some of the influences you had early on? Well, my dad got me started in it. Um, I didn't start playing until I was 14. Um, we were members at a course not too far from our house, and uh, I'd end up going fishing all the time when I was little and, and not playing golf. And then uh, they actually built a public course right next to our house about two miles away called Quail Ridge Golf Course uh, that's hosted the Bubba Conley in the past. And uh, Brad Olson was a, a huge influence on my junior golf and college golf and pro golf. He was my instructor growing up. So, um, you know, my dad and, and Brad really got me going. And then obviously my high school coaches, but, uh, um, yeah, so it was, uh, it was kind of a short stint for me, uh, only playing four years of, of high school golf. And then, and then obviously playing at Tennessee and then a little bit professionally, but, uh, it was, it was great though. You know, you, you grew up in West Tennessee and, and ten, the state of Tennessee and, and Dick, uh, Horton always did a great job with their programs, and, and you said you got in there late. Did you play a lot of junior events in the state? Because, uh, you know, like you said, you started kind of late. You just didn't jump in and go play AJGA. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, AJGA was kind of uh, kind of just getting going when I was, uh, you know, there in the mid-'90s, and uh, I think I played three AJGAs in my career, um, so, so not many. Um, yeah, so I played a lot of just local events in the state, uh, obviously – Started playing state junior and state am, um, and then I, I, the, my, I guess my probably my big break for college golf would have been making it to the U.S. junior and qualifying for that uh, my junior year in high school, and uh, um, obviously going there and there's a hundred coaches on the first tee that was uh, quite intimidating for somebody that's never really uh, played in front of many coaches before. But uh, no, it was uh, I definitely probably took a different route than than most kids uh, take these days. Well, how did you, how did, you know, you, you said that you were nervous. How did you deal with that pressure early on? That's kind of why I kind of started this podcast, just for a lot of the juniors that are listening, even college players that are listening. How did you deal with that pressure, you know, only doing it a short period of time? Yeah, you know, I guess I just really, um, I, I, you know, looking back on I really wasn't thinking so much about uh, the coaches and everything. I was just really focused on just trying to, you know, Play, play my game and going out there and taking it one shot at a time like everybody says but um obviously there, there were times where i 
you know, got a little overwhelmed and like, oh man, this actually probably means something here. And, uh, but really, to be honest with you, Jim, I, I didn't really know much about college golf then. I was just, I was just trying to get better every day. And, you know, my dad always would say, Andrew, just take care of the little things. Just keep getting better every day. And, and you know what, if, uh, if, if, if a co- if college comes calling great, you know, and, but I wasn't going obviously on visits or anything like that. And then, uh, Obviously, Jim Tellison at Tennessee gave me an opportunity, and I'll always be thankful for that. And and he was just a great coach to me and mentor. So, uh, but no, it was it was it was quite the quite the ride for for a quick ride, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Did you play other sports growing up? Is that uh, what you did kind of early I, I, on? Yeah, I did. Uh, I was a uh, I played baseball a lot. I played hockey growing up. Um, for hockey is probably my, my favorite sport. Um, I was born in Erie, Pennsylvania, so uh, my whole family's from Buffalo, New York area. So I grew up playing hockey in, in Memphis, and then uh, right when I finished golf, when I was about third, or, or excuse me, uh, baseball when I was thirteen, you know, I just said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this golf thing out, and I was pretty bad, obviously at, at first, <laughs> but uh, just uh, like most juniors do, just uh, caught the bug and fell in love with it, and um, you know. I had the golf course at 7 a.m. every morning, getting home at 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, just uh, putting under the lights, and uh, no, it was, it was it was great. Did playing those other sports help you at all with your golf? I mean, because they're different muscles, different kind of movements somewhat, but still, uh, I know a lot of hockey players that love to play golf as well as baseball players. Yeah, no, I think it definitely does. I mean, any, any hand-eye coordination sport, um, you know, I teach a lot of baseball players, uh, Sometimes they're a little bit harder to uh, get in the right positions uh, on the backswing, but um, no, I mean I, I would say uh, it definitely helped me out a lot. I mean I'm, I play left-handed because I grew up playing golf, or because I grew up playing hockey left-handed. My dad just put a hockey stick in my left hand and said, "Here you go." But uh, um, no, without a doubt, I think any hand-eye coordination sport. Um, I'm, I always encourage my juniors to you know, uh, be playing other sports is just going to make you better in the long run. And I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because we're talking instruction, but what, you know, say you've got a baseball player, what kind of similarities, differences, how do you get them to change when you're working with the golf swing versus a baseball swing? Because there are some differences. There's no doubt there's differences. You know, I, I, I think the big thing is just getting them to understand uh, the different movements, uh, different wrist angles, you know, in golf versus uh, – um, baseball, it's just, uh, you know, obviously a lot of the um, kids I teach are younger kids, and I've got some some ex-college baseball players that are now, you know, getting into golf, and, you know, it's just, I guess, I think just more than anything, just getting them to understand, like, look, you're not swinging a baseball bat anymore. Um, there are some similarities, but there are a lot of differences, um, and then I think once they start understanding, um, you know, exactly what they need to be doing in their swing, they, they, they take on pretty quick. Obviously, they're most of them are really good athletes, so it's, uh, it doesn't take long for them to catch on. What do you tell parents or kids that are playing baseball that their you know, son or daughter wants to play golf? I mean, they may be playing softball and whatever. What do you tell them to kind of encourage, hey, it's not going to hurt you to play both? Yeah, you know, I have, I have some parents that, you know, say, no, I just want my kid to play base or baseball, and then, then, then we'll play golf and vice versa. And I say, you know, it's, it's not going to hurt you either way. I mean, I think some – some kids, it might hurt them a little bit, uh, you know, if they're playing baseball and they want to play golf. But in the long run, I mean, we're talking seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kids, and uh, I just think them getting out and playing, you know, go play, uh, go play both of them. Get a, get to be a really good athlete, and I'm telling you, it's gonna it's gonna make a huge difference 
if you end up choosing golf, you know, later on. No, absolutely. I, I, there's so many, it, it was funny there for a span. It was just, oh no, you got to specialize in one specific sport. And I mean, I think in golf, if you look back at tennis, I mean, tennis players would burn out by the time they got to 22 or 24 years old. And, and I just think it's so good for them. Just also being part of a team uh, atmosphere, no doubt. I think. And you were part of that and you also coached at all that, but you mentioned college golf and a team. I mean, you got to Tennessee. What was that first year like? Because that had to be some adjustments. Now you're playing college golf in less than or right about four years of when you started playing the game. Well, I know. I mean, it was a huge adjustment for me. I mean, uh, I mean, just getting to college and, you know, having all these guys on your team and, you know, be me being basically being a no-name. Nobody's really heard of me much except maybe in the state of Tennessee for a little bit. But, um you know, we've got kids from, you know, my roommate for five years was Ian Parnamy from, from England, and that was great, you know, rooming with somebody overseas that had that experience and playing in British AMs and, and a, lot, a lot of big tournaments. But it was, it was a big adjustment um, in, in just learning, like, how to play golf and manage my game. I think I was a decent athlete. I just kind of got away with a lot of it. But, you know, I, had, I hadn't really ne- ever seen my golf swing on video before. I remember <laughs> the first time seeing that my freshman year, really, and being like, Wow, that, that, that didn't look too good. But, uh, you know, I just try to, you know, I, I, I was, I really, I love to practice. Um, you know, I was always one of the harder workers on the team and I uh, loved chipping and putting in my wedge game. That was probably my strong point when I played a little bit. And, um, but, uh, you know, I just, you know, looking back on it, yeah, it was a big adjustment. I remember being at the SEC tournament my freshman year and, you know, in Memphis, when it rains, as you know, Jim, I mean, it's, it's normally thunderstorms in yeah. the summertime. So you're not it's not like you're playing a lot in the rain. I mean, if it started raining and thunder and lightning, we're, we're getting in. So I had never really played in the rain much. And I remember my assistant coach at the time, Randy Wiley, who was a great player at, a, at A&M and played professionally for a long time. And uh, he came over to me and I had my, I had my uh, outside of my, my rain on my bag um, covering up my clubs in the rain just I, I had, of course, on backwards, right? So it's just pouring. <laughs> the rain just pouring in there. He's like, Angie, do you not know how to? I said, I just put this thing on there. I don't. I've never used this thing before. That's awesome. Um, you know, I didn't. I didn't know how to read a yardage book. I had no idea what a carry number was, a front number. Uh, you know, I just. I, I was, you know, walking my yardage off from the sprinkler heads like 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 what we used to do, and. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was a big time uh, learning curve, and I I feel like I just you know got better each year, and then and then got a lot better um, there my last uh, year or two, and then when I turned pro. Well, that's that's a great story because I think being what you called yourself a no name or just kind of non experienced that had to motivate you to keep every day get up early and try to outwork everybody, didn't it? It sure did. I mean, I remember uh, one of my roommates, um, Clemens. He was from. Oh gosh, where was he from? Denmark, I believe. And um, and and he was he's talking his freshman year about turning pro, and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I, I mean, I know what a professional <laughs> is, but I mean, he's talking about turning pro, and I'm like, man, he's talking about turning pro, and he can't even beat me. How is this working? You know, like, and uh, and I wasn't that good, so it was just interesting uh, hearing everybody how they, you know, were looking at golf. I was just literally just trying to get better and, and make the lineup and and qualify. You know, I. I was just trying to just get better every day, you know. Take us through those qualifiers because I don't think people realize that's probably some of the most nerve-wracking, uh, I, you wouldn't call it a tournament, but experiences you have, especially in college golf, Just and you may be playing against your roommate. Uh, 
Well, it was. You know, obviously, you don't you don't qualify hardly ever in, in high school. I mean, you have qualifiers if you have maybe a really good team, but most high school teams, if you're a better player, you're you're in the lineup. And but yeah, getting to college, um, yeah, I mean, we got 12, 13 guys on the team playing for five spots. You know, and um, for me, it, it was probably um, I was probably a better qualifier early on than I was a tournament player. I feel like I put all of my uh, mental fortitude, my effort into qualifying, and then once I qualified, it was almost like I had a little, little bit of a letdown at, at the tournament. Like versus, you know, really, obviously, you want just office. You want to qualify, but then get to the tournament and play well. So I kind of had to learn that. You know, I had to learn how to be actually a good tournament player versus just being a, a good qualifier. I mean, we had we had a lot of guys that, um, you know, that um uh, Andy Brimer was one of the guys on our team never practiced at all he was a senior when I was a freshman I mean the guy didn't do anything he'd go out and shoot even par like it was nothing and then you know we had other guys like myself that would be grinding it and I'd be lucky to maybe break 75 in a tournament but uh um there's no doubt I mean it's it's, it's awkward obviously going back to your dorm room and every college player's experience is, you know, back in the day calling your parents hey I just qualified and your roommate maybe didn't qualify or or, or whatnot um, so, but it's, uh, that's part of that, that, that team dynamic that you talk about though. It's, uh, it, you don't really get it on, on that level in high school, but in college, it's, it's really, uh, really interesting. Yeah. David Tom's told a story on the podcast that, uh, two roommates were battling for the last spot. And of course one wins, one loses. And the one that lost put a big, uh, piece of tape down the middle of the room and said, you can't cross this side. This is my side. That's your side. And the other one said, well, I got to go brush my teeth can i at least cross the line to go brush my teeth <laughs> I, I don't think it got extreme everywhere that but that was one of my my favorite stories david told some great oh, stories that's but great. That, that's yeah. an awesome there's so many great stories from college and some you can tell and some you can't but it's an experience that's right. That's right. especially with my team but it's an experience of a lifetime uh but you mentioned you know one of the guys was think, talking about turning pro you it never entered your mind but when did that enter your mind when did you start thinking hey maybe i want to try this as a pro you know i'm kind of getting better i'm working hard things are going in the right direction you know jim I, it was for me it was kind of really late um i didn't uh i had a pretty good sophomore and junior year and um you know in college golf i wasn't all american but for me I, I was getting better and then my fall of my senior year i played uh, really bad just I don't know. I just I just struggled a lot. Uh, I was trying to work on my swing. Just um, just didn't wasn't clicking. Played okay my 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 uh, uh, senior spring, and then really I had I had an internship I had to do. So I was working at Holston Hills. Chris Dibble gave me a job out there um, at Holston. So I was playing all the time. I was practicing, working with Randy Wiley on my swing, and. It just clicked. It really just did. And I started playing with a lot of members. And, and you know, I had a couple guys say, man, Andrew, you should try playing. And I honestly, at, at, to that point, I really wasn't thinking a whole lot about it. I mean, it had crossed my mind. But I'm like, yeah, look, I'm averaging 73. This isn't very good, you know, like compared to all these other guys. And um, and then I just started playing really well uh, for the next probably year. And, you know, I happened to win the, the state open, the state amateur that same year in Tennessee, which, which, which you know, was a – was was great for me to be able to do and that gave me a lot of confidence and then uh went to q school didn't make it through so i was just playing on the hooters tour in in 2005 and i was playing pretty good i was probably top 50 on the money list which i thought was was great and uh was, was doing pretty good and uh and then i had my big break up in rochester new york where i had some some of my investors that were helping me out I just went up there for a week to spend with them 
And I thought, you know, I'll try to Monday qualify for this brand new event called the Xerox Classic. I don't Monday, then I'll just hang out with them for three or four days, play golf with them. It'd be great. Well, I ended up getting a playoff into a playoff in the qualifier, uh, birdied the second hole, got in, and then ended up losing in, in the tournament by one shot to uh, Rick Price. Um, he got it up and down on 18. And, uh, and uh, anyway, so um, so that kind of kind of got me going on the nationwide tour at the time or Corn Ferry. And um, so, you know, of course, uh, it was uh, quite the eye-opening experience going from college golf in a year, amateur golf, and then now, you know, playing out here with, with some really good players at the time, Snedeker and Camilio and all those guys are out there. Um, so, that, you know, I did that for a couple of years. But, yeah, it was it was probably really late for me. I, I don't know if I was actually planning on, um, on turning pro necessarily until I really started – uh, winning some amateur tournaments and have you know I had 16 guys that came to me and said Andrew you should try this and and so I, I did. So what did you learn from those experiences playing out there on the nationwide tour and in some of the mini tours? What did you learn about yourself, about your golf game, and about just golf in general? You know the the biggest thing now looking back on it, obviously at the time I don't know if I was learning a lot. <laughs> uh, you know I feel like I feel like you're going through the the heat of the moment and you're you're trying to learn but looking back on I, I think the biggest thing and I tell this to all my juniors all the time um and my college players that I teach is that you're not going to play well every week and um I wish somebody really and I'm sure somebody did but I, I wish I would have really taken this if somebody would have sat me down and showed me uh you know one of the you know a top 125 PJ Thor player and how many cuts they actually missed in a year and, and how many you know T47 finishes they have. I, I, I guess I just felt like I needed to play well every week if I was to try to get my PJ Tour card out there. And, and I think that really hurt me in the long run. I think that was something that put a lot of pressure on myself. I mean, I remember finishing second that week, driving down to Cleveland, Ohio, playing that next week. Obviously, I'm playing great golf, and I missed the cut by one and solely just because my attitude wasn't great. I mean, I was, I was hitting great shots. I could tell, you know, I was getting frustrated. I hit a seven iron to 20 feet uh, 30 feet and for me that was really good and uh and i'd get all upset you know and and uh and i ended up missing the cut and i'm you know looking back i'm like man you know like you had a you're playing great you should just gone and played and and had a good time but um yeah i just really think that um that you know in golf there's a lot of times that you just you don't play well right you're barely making the cut and you only get that um you know i I call it the, the the 20 60 20 rule um, I talked about this with John Scott Rattan, who played at Tennessee with me, and um, he was the one that was telling me this a little bit. And he thinks, you know, 20% of the time you play great, 60% of the time you have your very average game, and 20% of the time you play terrible. And uh, and that's probably right, you know. Like if you look at most careers, maybe not like the top players, but you look at your typical one 100 to 150 guy on the money list, I mean, they're – after cuts, most of them, you know. So yeah, how, and that's the thing. I, I had Hal Sutton on, and he talked about personal expectations and how it could strangle strangle you. For him, you know, he won the PGA, mm-hmm. and they said, "Oh, you're the next Jack Nicklaus." And it happens even at the nationwide at junior golf, every level of golf, attitude and personal right. expectations. So, you know, what do you tell your juniors? I mean, you're, we talked about your experiences. What do you tell your juniors when you're instructing them now about personal expectations and how to just be aware of them? Yeah, I mean, I think I think just I just try to tell them from my experiences, you know, just you know, I'm, I'm a big believer. If we can, if you can keep your expectations, uh, 
maybe just under your ability level is kind of what I always try to tell them. You know, once your expectations go way above your actual ability level, then that's, that's when you kind of get into trouble, right? If you're expecting to do things uh, that you normally wouldn't do, um, you know, for me that was, you know, like I, I just want to hit a, hit, hit a green with a five iron in my hand, much less hit it to 20 feet, you know. But when I started hitting it to 20 feet and then I'm getting upset at myself, then my expectations have gone way too high, you know. So I really think most golfers play very good when their expectations are – just barely under their ability level and, and they're not really out there thinking, well, man, I should be shooting 65 today or, or, or all that stuff. So, um, you know, and I think also, I think, you know, attitude is so huge, you know, I know it was for me and I had a good attitude. I'd say a lot of times and I had a bad attitude a lot of times as well too. Uh, not, not throwing clubs and things like that, but just, you know, uh, you know, you, you get going the wrong, wrong side of it for a while and you can really get down and, um, I know with my high school players, I really try to encourage them and just tell them, hey, look, just because you shot 84 doesn't mean anything, right? Like, right. There's a lot of 84s going forward, right? Um, and a lot of times those kids will bounce back and, and shoot 73 the, the next day. And um, so I, I really think the expectation uh, of what you have on yourself is, is huge, though. When did you decide, all right, I'm going to quit playing and get into coaching on the college level? <laughs> I mean, that's because that's kind of like, all right, I'm not picking on it, but it's like, okay, I'm not making a lot of money, and now I'm going to go be yeah, just yeah. a golf coach in college, and I'm really not going to yeah. make any money. <laughs> no, it's uh, – so at the end of 07, I had lost my status on the Nationwide Tour. I think I finished 110th on the money list or something, and um, I was just playing Hooters Tour, um, and um, I was actually playing pretty well. I just finished second in Guatemala, and, and uh, I mean, I was playing actually really good, but I, I had just – I kind of lost the love – for the game, to be honest with you, Jim, I just um, I was one of those guys that when I got back uh, home on a Sunday night um, from a tournament, I was out there Monday at 8 a.m. You can ask all the members at Moore's Mill. I mean, at uh, at, at Holston Hills. I mean, I was out there practicing that morning. I'd play 18 in the afternoon on a Monday when I just got back home. And I kind of knew it was probably time for me to do something else when I'd get back home and I'd tell my wife there above, I said, yeah, I think I need to do some yard work on Monday, and I got this to do on Tuesday. And before you know it, I wasn't starting to practice again until Wednesday or Thursday. And um, that was not like me. I was always one of you know the first one out there, the last one to leave. So, um, but so yeah. Anyways, yeah, Judy Pavone um, had an opening. Carrie Cole, who was her assistant, had just left for uh, Texas San Antonio as the head women's coach there, and she said, "Andrew, I'd love to have you as my assistant." And I thought. At the time, I thought, okay, I'm going to come. I'll be there, her assistant, for a year. I'll, I'll, I'll keep practicing and playing. I'll find that love again for playing and, and, and really getting back out there. And honestly, uh, once I started coaching, I just fell in love with it. I just thought, oh, my goodness, these kids are so raw. They have so much talent. But nobody's really has showed them, you know, how to play the game or, or, or how the short game part of the game. And, uh, and so I just really, you know, fell in love with coaching and um, – but yeah, it was it was the. You're right though. I don't remember my, remember my wife saying, "Andrew, look, they have health <laughs> benefits at Tennessee. You yeah. can have health insurance. <laughs> we want to have some kids, so it's time for you to maybe do something different." And and it was time. So well, I think I think for a lot of people, they don't ever know when to say it's over. I think they continue right. trying to drag through it, and because it's a dream, and yours was a later on dream, and, and you just like, hey, I put a lot of my effort and life into it the last 
you know, eight years or nine years or 10 years in your case. And it's like, okay, what am I going to do? But you go to the women's side in coaching. And I think just talking to a lot of the players and instructors on that side, they're really so much fun to work with. Cause like you said, they want to learn, uh, and, and, and they're just willing, they don't, they don't get the instruction on the short game side on either side. Not everybody wants to work on their golf swings. Very few people want to work on the short game, but that had to be really rewarding and fun for you to get to work with those young ladies and, and kind of mold them into the players they became and just to kind of start from, you know, scratch and teach them the things that you knew. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. I just, I mean, Judy had a great team and a great program um, when I was there or well before I was there, her and Carrie had put together so a lot of great teams and the girls were great ball strikers. I mean, I'm talking, uh, you know, I coached for 12 years now and they were some of the best ball strikers that I had seen uh, or, or have seen in, in women's college golf. And, and they just needed, they were just lacking more short game technique and, and, and when to play certain shots and, you know, how to hit a normal bunker shot, how to hit a flood glide bunker shot. Um, you know, just, just um, you know, stuff that was basic to me, but obviously was not to them. And um, so it was great, obviously, having just played for four years that I could come off, I could get in the bunker with them, show them the shot. And then, you know, rather than just telling them, hey, you know, your ball needs positions way off, your face needs to be open, whatever it might be, um, I could actually get in there and show them and, and, and hit the shot and, and play with them a little bit. So that really, I think that really helped our, our, our team out when I was at Tennessee. And, and uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty uh, neat watching a young lady that's a freshman or sophomore who's a great ball striker. And I'm like, look, we don't need any balls today. Like, we yeah. shouldn't putt for three hours. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. Let, let's, go, let's go take you out on the course and get you inside of 100 yards and, and get you good there because that's what you're having is you, you bombing off the tee. So, um, no, we, we made a couple of big jumps. I mean, I think we were about 70th in the country uh, when I got there, and we made three national championships in a row. And we were, you know, I, I wouldn't say we had like an unbelievable team, but we were, uh, we made a lot of progress, I felt like, in a, in a couple of short years. And, uh, um, and, and their short games got a lot better. Yeah, and their, and their practice facility now is a lot better too than what it was. <laughs> Way better because it didn't exist when I played. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So it was yeah. a lot better. But uh, you go to Tulane, I believe, right after that. The head coach. I don't think yeah. you went down as assistant. Became the head coach down in New Orleans. At that point, I think you started. Your, you had your family starting down there. What was it like to be the head coach uh, as opposed to you know coming back from a being the assistant? Because a lot of times the assistants do so many behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm not going to say do all the work, but they do a lot, a lot of work because I know a lot of assistants and I know how hard they work. Yeah. Well, no, and I think every head coach would tell you uh, that, you know, if, if they want to have a great program, they got to have a great assistant, at least, at least this day and age. You know, maybe 30 years ago, it was more just the head coach who's doing most of the work. But with recruiting, player development now, I mean, you got to have two really good coaches if you want to have a top 10 program. And, uh, no, it was great going to Tulane. I was uh, eager to, to kind of start or have, have my own program. Um, I didn't have an assistant coach actually down there. I had a, a grad assistant, um, Lynn Gustafsson from, from Sweden, who helped me out immensely. Um, she had just graduated and literally started helping me. And, uh, and, and great having a female when you're a male head coach is great. She could obviously talk to the girls and, and, and walk with them on the course, and I trusted her. Um, but, yeah, no, it was uh, – it was pretty. It was it was nice, you know, having your own program and, and being able to you know try different things that maybe 
you've been wanting to try. And I think every assistant that, that becomes a head coach, you know, has, you know, well, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know what, we did that. I'm going to really do that a lot more at, 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 at my new program. Um, but I think the, for uh, for me, the, the big thing that, that helped our program out there at Tulane, um, and we, we played pretty good for, for the two years I was there. Um, we really changed our, our, our schedule out. Um, most teams, I think, uh, at that time, this was back in 2007 and eight, uh, or excuse me, 2011 it was, um, most teams are kind of just doing their normal Monday through Friday practice. And then they might have Saturday or Sunday off. And, uh, I really try to change that up. So we would, uh, we'd be practicing for, um, the way that the calendar would fall for a day off. We, I'd give them one day off and then we'd practice all the way up until we left for the tournament. Mm-hmm. So our girls would have, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten days in a row, and then we'd play our tournament, and they were really peaking a lot of times um, at the tournament. And then when we got back home, I'd give them three days off or, or four sometimes. And I'd say, look, y'all go take care of your stuff, schoolwork, get your laundry done, oil change, all that stuff. And then, But when you come back four days from now, I want you to be ready to go. And it was, it was amazing to see these young ladies how – um, they how much more refreshed they were and ready to go versus, you know, coming back from a tournament, getting one day off, and then starting back to the uh, grind again, whether it's fall fine or whatnot. Um, and actually, that was kind of a mistake. I, I, I didn't really do that on purpose. Uh, Hurricane Isaac hit mm-hmm. when I was down there, and we had a lot of time off, and then we had to get ready for a tournament really fast, so we had a lot of days that we could practice leading into the tournament, and we did, and we played phenomenal, and I'm like, Okay, I got to sit down and really look yeah. at the calendar, uh, and us start, you know, doing it a little bit different maybe than a lot of other programs were doing. And I really think that was a, a huge uh, a part of our success is having them tournament ready versus maybe having a day off, uh, you know, one day before our travel day, and us kind of going in maybe a, a, a little rusty. Well, that totally makes sense. I mean, when you look back at it, it's the way you probably would do it for tournament golf. If you're playing the PGA Tour, the Nationwide, or any other tournament, that's how you would do it. You wouldn't take days off before you went. But what was recruiting like? Yeah, what was recruiting like versus being an assistant versus being the head coach? What was the differences there? Because sometimes, as the assistant, you may have to, hey, this gal right here, she's pretty good. Now we may want to take a look at her and convince them. What were the differences in recruiting? Well, recruiting is, you know, it's, it's a lot more pressure, obviously. Like, when you're assistant, you're more uh, out there identifying talent, watching it. I mean, on the, on the women's side, it's, it's fairly easy. I mean, you're offering a lot of full scholarships or, or, or close to. So it's way different than the men's side where you're trying to, obviously, identify talent, but you're also putting a price tag on it. Where we're, on the women's side, most of the time, you're just, you know, okay, that girl's really good. I want to get her, you know, can I get her for 90% or full ride or whatever it might be. Um but as a head coach, now you're really like, okay, I've got three to choose from, and which one's going to be better, you know, four years from now or three years from now? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, um, it, it's tough. It really is. I mean, uh, you know, I, mean, I think every coach is, has, has uh, you know, made a mistake or two in, in, in thinking kids are going to develop. And I think that was the one thing that I always tried is, like, rather than looking at that person that I could develop a lot, you know, I was really looking for, like, that, that, that good player that was already really good. And and the one question I used to always ask our recruits is, do you love golf? And, you know, you, you it's funny when you ask them that question, a lot of them look at you like, well, I think I do. And then, then they start answering it, and, and then you find out really fast that, man, this girl's not really in it for the right reason. Right. And, 
And I know once she gets to college, she's really not going to be in it for the right reasons when she starts studying and has a social life and all that other stuff. And um, so I really went after, I was kind of, I guess maybe I took a little bit of my mentality in college, like, hey, do you, do you love playing? Like, are you going to get up at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning and go practice? Are you going to, if I give, you know what I mean? Like, are, are mm-hmm. you just going to, nah, I think I'll just, you know, maybe go hit balls for 30 minutes or so. So and I, and I'm, I know there's great players that actually do that, but I, I really wanted a team that really loved golf and uh, doesn't mean they had to practice 24/7, but I wanted them to really like it and, and enjoy it and not feel like they had a. So I feel like a lot of juniors nowadays are really just not not that they're forced to play it, but it's um you know the parents put a lot of pressure on them and um you know, you know, I, I just, I want, I wanted that kid that like, Hey, mom or dad's not telling you to go practice. Like I love going to play golf, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a great, um, that's, that's, that's hard. Cause I know. And then, you know, when you get a kid that gets to be a senior and they know they're not going to play professionally, they get what I call senioritis. And it's just like, they're mailing it in. They hate the coach. They hate the, everything in life. They're ready to go on. They're tired of all this baloney. So you just never really truly know, but you make the move to Auburn, uh, SEC schools, the top program, move the family over there again. And I remember you recruited this young lady that I'm very fond of, and I think you are too, my daughter Kathleen. And she, she just, uh, <laughs> you were actually the first coach that ever recruited her. Uh, and I'll tell this story, and you can fill it in, but she's, she just loved you. And we went over and visited, and then when it came time it, between you and LSU, at Auburn and LSU, and she's just like, Dad, I just think LSU's for me, and but I've got to call Andrew. Right. i got to call Andrew. It's like breaking up with your boyfriend. I go, what? <laughs> she goes, no, it just hurts. I don't want to do that to him. I just I, I like him so much, but you were always kind to her afterwards. And, and what's it like? Say you got a kid like that, and you really, really want him, and they – you know, I guess they turn you down. They don't choose it. I mean, that's, that's gotta be hard for you, but you always encouraged her. Uh, and I'd always admired that about it, but when, you know, it's, it's not a game, but it's just tough. You, you don't get somebody you want, but you get to watch them now for the next four years. What's that like for you? If you maybe not get the person you want to get. Well, I, I think, you know, just, um, you know, like anything, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're just trying to develop young, young people here and, and, uh, and when you're recruiting a young lady and, you know, you got three or four of them you're recruiting, obviously only one of them is going to say yes to you or, or hopefully one of them will say yes. Um, you know, I still want them to play great, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I don't want them to, 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 to play bad. And, you know, I want them to develop and be a great player if they want to play on tour or whatnot. So I just, you know, I think my parents just taught me early on, you know, just, you know, you know, don't ever ruin a uh, ruin a relationship over something silly like that. And, and I know when I got here to Auburn, Coach Evans was. I watched her recruit early on, and she was that type of of, of coach as well, right? I mean, mm-hmm. she had so many great relationships uh, with with players that didn't commit to Auburn, and I saw that, and I was, you know, like, man, this is this is awesome. You know, it's pretty cool when you got other girls in the SEC coming up to you saying, Hey coach, how you doing? How you feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, that really like that, you know, because obviously we're all recruiting the same young ladies for the most part. And, um, so yeah, I mean, obviously we, I have a lot of, uh, players that, um, you know, that I used to see playing in tournaments that, that I recruited that, that decided to go elsewhere. And, you know, I just, I think the big thing is just, you know, supporting them and being like, Hey, you know, if you ever need anything, feel free to text me or call me. It's hard, right? I mean, it's, it's hard. Sure. I mean, I think we all put our best foot forward as coaches to show them a great facility, that, that, that we're good people, and that we're trying to help them. But, you know, not everybody 
fits in, in that right uh, school. And um, and so I've had a lot of kids that went somewhere else, and then, you know, I'm getting a phone call two years later saying, we're transferring, yeah. you know, do you have an opening or whatnot? And, and I think if coaches ruin that, that relationship, they're not going to call you, you know. And um, But, no, I just I just really wanted to see – all of, all of my players, and obviously, I, I really enjoyed recruiting Kathleen, and and was a great player, was a, a heck of a player at, at, at LSU, and um, she was she was the type of player that I, yeah I could tell love love playing golf right mm-hmm. and just love being out there and and, and competing, um, and and that that was the kind of players that that we wanted at Auburn. Yeah, I think I think for her, just you know, towards the end there it was. Their teams kind of struggled a little bit, but it was a decision, and she met her husband there. So it turned out to be a great, right. you know, a great move. Yeah, you, you don't right. know that at the time as a kid, you know, you're just right. And all of a sudden, this is where you know the good Lord puts you in that direction. But you know, talking about Absolutely. directions, you decide to go into teaching on the private side instruction, and and that's got to be pretty cool for you because that's uh, I know I love for you. I know watched you coach for all those years, and and how you you know. The short game was always a love for you, but you you teach everything. So, where are you teaching now? How do people get to you know get in touch with you? And and what's it been like uh, doing it on your own? Yeah, you know it was uh, you know leaving Auburn. Obviously, having uh, you know Kim Evans brought me here, and I was with her for two years, and then she retired and uh, is cancer free now, which is which is awesome. Yep. And we're actually neighbors now, and it's great. So she comes over all the time to the house and sees the kids and. And then obviously I worked for Melissa Llewellyn for five years. Uh, after that, and Melissa was just a, a great coach for me and, and mentor, and um, had just an unbelievable program. Just went in the SECs there two weeks ago, um, and and then you know, it just it, the, the job honestly uh, happened to come open at Moore's Milk Club here in town. Um, it came open two years ago in October. The director of instruction. We were actually at the East Lake Cup. Playing, uh, we had just lost to Wake Forest in the final match, and uh, I get in a car ride going back to Auburn from Atlanta, and I told Melissa, I said, you're not going to believe this, but I have a meeting tomorrow with, with Moore's Mill, and she's like, what for? And I said, their director of instruction, and I had told Melissa and, and also Coach Evans as well that I'd been thinking about getting into teaching, staying at home more, obviously we have four kids now, and just not traveling as much, and uh so one thing led to the other, and, and before you know it, uh, a month later, um, they offered me the job, and obviously I had to tell the girls on the team that was a, that was a hard mm. uh, couple weeks. But uh, you know, and, and, and they were all excited for me and happy for me, and they knew that this was was the best move for my family and I. But it's still hard, you know, when you're have recruited young ladies, and and, and Coach Wellen and I have we're, we're trying to build a a great team there, and. Um, so anyway, so yeah, I've been there now since uh, January of 2020. So I've been there almost uh, what 16 months now, and it's just been great. Uh, um, Moore's Mill Club is a privately owned golf course, a great course, great practice facility. We have two hitting bays, two track bands, Sam Putlap putting studio, uh, three practice screens outside, and it's just great to be able to not only now, uh, obviously, I'm teaching juniors, high schoolers, adults members non-members but also now you know i still have three or four of the girls on the team that i work with and teach which is great so um it was it's, it's pretty nice seeing these young players come up through and i can kind of pass my experience on to them so you're able to teach outside non-members and everything so that's a great uh i am that was one of the things that i really wanted to make sure um you know they have a great membership here we have um almost 
600 golfing members at Moore's Mill. Um, but, you know, I just, you know, I talked to a lot of my, my instructor friends uh, when I was making this, this decision, and they all said, look, Andrew, you, you need to be able to teach outside the membership. You want to be able to start teaching, you know, uh, members from other clubs if they need help and, and obviously take care of your members at Moore's Mill as well. But also I want to be able to teach, you know, I've got a, a, a lot of kids that come in from Birmingham and Columbus, Georgia, and Montgomery. So um, I'm able to kind of teach a, a lot of those juniors as well and adults. Well, could be a potential member for the club too, you know, so you never you never know. It works both ways. I know VJ Trulio and Tim Elverton do that at Old Waverly, and they bring people in. And right. It's just a great thing for everybody, and I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you, but I know we've taken up a lot of your time. you probably got another lesson booked in another five minutes. But <laughs> it's, it's, hey, that's a great thing. I, with teaching, I've never – I told uh, some of the other day, I've – you know, in coaching, you don't really get too many days off except maybe in the summertime. And uh, being able to have a Sunday and, and, and Monday off uh, the last year has been has been different, obviously for me, but it's been great. So, so no, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a lesson today, but uh, I appreciate you uh, calling me, Jim. This has been great. Well, it's great to have you on and give Andrew a call at Morris Mill when you if you need a lesson. He's a great guy. He's a good friend of ours and. Uh, and as I say, uh, when we end the podcast, whether life or golf, you may only have one shot and you got to make it count. Now, the only question I have, we're going to end it on this. Is it go Vols or go Tigers? I knew you were going to ask me that, right? <laughs> well, You don't have to answer to incriminate is, yourself. I know, right? We'll just say I'm cheering for Auburn when they're not playing the Vols and when they're playing the Vols. Probably secretly, I'm cheering for the Vols for sure. Absolutely, because uh, orange is in your uh, blood either way. It's a good orange either way. That's right. Well, I appreciate you. Both great schools. They are, and I appreciate you being on there. Congratulations to the women's team. Uh, it was a great SEC win, uh, uh, and it was a lot of fun to watch them, and it's watched them get better. That's got to be rewarding for you to see some of the gals that are still on the team that you coached. And uh, good luck with those four kids, because I know what it's like to have four. But uh, appreciate you spending some time. Enjoy your day off, buddy. Thanks, Jim. Tell everybody I said hello in your family. All right. All right, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Bye bye.